No Further Information, a podcast about cops and clocks. I said clocks, you dirty perverts. This episode will focus on cops. Today, we sit down with a storyteller who works really hard and has a plan. By his own admission, he had a privileged background growing up, but he's on a mission to do good. And yes, he's still able to tell you his age by holding up his fingers. I'm this many years old. I'm fairly certain his last birthday party was at a trampoline park. He didn't even give out fucking gift bags. Let's hear from Bob, a Dallas area Texas cop. Bob. I'm a police officer at a small agency outside of Dallas. Do you feel like you get along with older officers? I think I get along with them better than I do younger officers, actually. Why is that? Do you feel like you have an old soul? Or that's what you tell them? Uh, do you, I, that's, what you tell them. that's what he puts on his Tinder profile, like old soul. I've been told by many that I have an old soul. Many, almost every trainer actually uses those exact same words. So maybe that comes from being so grounded, real right? I think it did. Um, I, like I said, I don't know how my parents did it to get me <laughs> to the point that I get paid to talk to people and do it pretty successfully. You know, I think. Um, but for for whatever reason, I think I just get along with the, the older officers better. I think I'm fairly receptive to their wisdom and their knowledge and i'm not afraid to admit that i know nothing and i'm willing to learn so you have humility that which which you know some young people don't have i hope so yeah probably probably not very much but just enough to get by so roll with me on this angle here Mm -hmm. yes you're young but you got on the job fairly or very young and one can make the argument that (coughs) you're aging from x age to x age is not the same as another kid who aged from X to X, living at home, mommy and daddy, unemployed, living the sweet college life. So there is certainly a rate of maturation that's different from you versus that kid. And when you're building up this experience, you know, it's kind of like what they say, like, yeah, well, I'm 22, but mentally I'm filling the blank. And what are you seeing in the young younger generation that's coming? Because there's always, you know, no matter if, if you're five minutes old on the job, there's always somebody coming in behind you, right? Mm-hmm. And so as uh, having the, the very short time that you do have and seeing kids, you know, younger than you or your age coming in, what's the difference? What are you seeing? Everybody has different experiences and different situations. Um, I'm in my spot in my life they're in their spot in theirs they they have their experiences their uh, their wisdom their shortcomings i have all, all those same things uh well i mean i guess the better a different question is or a different way to ask that question is are they more entitled less entitled harder working less hard working i don't know that i can make that comparison from you know just me compared to anybody else but you know, I, I come across people who are my exact same age and mm-hmm. on a traffic stop or at a domestic or something. And by the end of the call, I'm like, what the fuck's your problem? You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. You're, because I know I'm 22. I know what my maturity level is. Mm-hmm. And I know how I would act in a certain situation, you know, that, that if I put myself in their shoes. And you definitely find yourself thinking, you know, grow up. And now, but sometimes you got to remember, you know, that's me having seen more of these exact same situations in right. two years than they will in their whole life. Yeah. So your maturation rate is not the same as theirs. How long you been on the job? Just a little under three years. Why the agency changed so early in your career? Uh, so I got hired really young. I got hired at 19. And at the time I knew it's what I wanted to do. So I went with it at the advice of several other officers and, and people in my life that I spoke to about it. At the time, that agency that I started with was the only one in the area that would hire people at 19. The state would allow you to get certified, but most agencies still required you to be 21. So 
they hired me at 19 and they got my foot in the door, got me a job. So I went with it. And if I had waited till 21, I would probably be at the department that I'm at now. So it's kind of a ending up where I would have been had the circumstances been different. But when you were hired, would they put you in, in like some admin position and then sent you to the academy? No, they hired me straight to a patrol. You know, they sponsored me through the academy. It was a pretty mm-hmm. sweet deal. It's part of why I took it. I had an in at the department. He got me the only spot they had available at the time. Um, and they sponsored me through the academy. It was, it was a good start. They paid normal salary through the academy. They didn't dock your pay for you know, cadet or recruit or anything. You started at step one and time of service started counting. So it was a good deal. And the graduated the academy went through training and hit the street so so you're in a patrol car with a gun and a shield at close as close as close to 21 as possible yep very young but do you have any life experience in your opinion in my opinion no i actually grew up really most people would say sheltered and that would probably be an accurate term mm-hmm. i grew up in a very stable home environment both biological parents mm-hmm. brothers and sisters no violence no fighting arguing you know very loving supportive parents um weren't rich but they were financially capable and um i was homeschooled my entire life as well all the way through like as homeschooled as you can be no co-op no nothing so i don't know how in the world my parents managed to prepare me well enough to be able to get paid to talk to people but they did so well then now comes the sixty-four thousand dollar question why a cop i mean for kids from idyllic childhoods with all of these benefits and advantages, I'm guessing money, not a problem. Right. And you, one could make the argument you could have been anything. Yeah. That one's kind of interesting to me, even, uh, it's something that I don't know that I've really figured out. I'm kind of the black sheep of the family, you know, not that I don't get along with them, but I don't have family in law enforcement. No, you're the first cop in your family. Yeah. No extended family. I got like a long lost uncle that was a, Ohio trooper. Um, but that's about it. What really, you know, I grew up in a family that was very conservative, very patriotic and really supported military law enforcement, sure, rule of law, you know, so we kind of had that background of supporting it and I had a lot of respect and admiration for him. Um, and I guess kind of the nine 11 of police work for me or my nine 11, because, you know, I'm 12 years old and was, Seven, seven. What, what was not even thought of. You know, I was alive during 9-11, but I didn't know what was going on. I was right. an infant. And 7-7, seven, seven, yeah, you just said it was my 9-11, whatever it was about that that happened. And that's when I kind of been considering military or law enforcement. And at that time, for whatever reason, whatever, however that hit me, when that happened, I was 15 at the time. Right. It, that's what inspired me to, or, or spurred me on to make that my decision. And from 15 on, I knew that's what I wanted to do to go do well most people most people say oh my god that's really dangerous and your family says oh my god five cops murdered six cops shot by an active shooter downtown dallas fuck that i'm not i'm not fucking doing this job i think the fire department's testing what what makes you say nah yeah i want to do that uh just had a feeling it looked it looked you know besides the fun part you know you could drive fast, get lights and sirens and a gun and a badge. You know, I'd grown up with guns my whole life. So that part wasn't strange to me. I was no mm-hmm. stranger to having a gun in my hand since I was five, six years old. As soon as you get a hold of it and your parent could pull the trigger for you. But I'm going to play devil's advocate. <clears throat> so, okay. Um, you see this and you're inspired and you like guns. I don't know if you got the memo of why they were down there protesting, <laughs> but the public fucking hates you. It's 2020. I mean, I know it's four years after 7-7, but it's 2020. Everybody fucking hates you. They're passing legislation. They're indicting cops for doing their jobs. You still want to do it? And here I am, you know. Here you I think are. we're in a fortunate area around here in North Texas. Um, a lot of the agencies... I'm not saying we don't get shitty traffic stops where people are assholes and, and hate you just because you got a uniform on and and disagree with you just because you have a uniform. Those people exist, but I think they're, at least in this area, the departments I've been at, they're few and far between, and overwhelmingly you're supported. And obviously, you know, that's my mom's first thought when 
the decision was made or, you know, I brought that to their attention. That's what I want to do. And that's good. You know, I don't want a mom that doesn't care about me, but she, uh, she still supported it. You know, it must even, be nice to have a mom. <laughs> it must be nice. It's, it's yeah. nice. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's good. And you're now, um, 21 and three days and you have fucking half a pube. Yep. And now you, you, your first assignment was a city department, right? Municipal municipality. Yeah. So now you're getting sent to domestics, stabbings, blood, guts, any part of you that says, Jesus, what the fuck did I get myself into? There were definitely times. Uh, I had a really good base to work off of. I think um, that just helps. from right? my childhood, you know, yeah. the stability. And my parents were both in the medical field. My dad was a, a respiratory therapist in the ER at one of the biggest hospitals in Dallas for 35 years. So I wasn't a complete stranger to stories of sure blood and guts and tra- but it is- traumatic stories. So he really taught us all how to compartmentalize mm-hmm. healthily, mm-hmm. put stuff in a workbox and... You know, don't let it overflow, but you got to have different compartments for different things. So I had a good base and then it, it definitely took them growing. It took. But it is. Know, di- yeah, it yeah. is. It is different when you come home soaked in someone else's blood, though, right? Yeah. A little and, bit weird. And how does one deal with something like that without getting into your family situation, married, not married kids? But I mean, you know, w- when I got on the job, I was fairly young and I came home to an empty apartment and world of warcraft and i got to stare at the walls and i realized over time that my you know friday or you know my wednesday to friday morning where i saw you know four stabbings and was you know i had to wash someone else's blood off me that it's it fucks with you so you know when you're 21 how do you deal with that for me starting out um I still live with my parents up until a little over a year ago. So oh, that's what's wrong with you. Yeah. That's what's yeah, wrong. One of the many yeah, things. One of the many things. Yeah. But so for, for the first couple of years, I had that support. support. I had people to talk to. Like I said, my dad was working in the ER in the biggest hospital in Dallas for 30 years. So he's no stranger to being that person that you can talk about stuff with and decompress. And then the department I started at was really good as well with uh, – Overall, I think I got into law enforcement at a good time where they're not throwing you into that and mm-hmm. telling you nothing about how it's going to affect you, you know, from the academy on, just because I'm in so new. They're teaching you about mental health and the way things are going to affect you and what it's going to do to your brain and how you have to deal with it and figure out ways to process it. So despite having the very little life experience, very little exposure, being sheltered, um, I think it was really set up for success, and so far it's been, there hasn't been, you know, that. Too much you couldn't handle. Yeah. And, and, and it helps that I started a smaller suburb department, so right. it wasn't like it was a daily thing, like somebody in Dallas or Houston. Because um, you have a good base, too. That right. helps. Um, <clears throat> so, how, how does the public react to you showing up? I mean... You know, I, I've worked with baby faces. I'm not on the job anymore, but I've worked with baby faces. I'm like, Jesus Christ, they sent me a fucking, a fucking zygote. And then I got to imagine, you know, especially command presence and fighting and telling, getting somebody to comply. The questions are, how does the public react? And then how do you compensate for that? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely situations that I have been in and, and even simple traffic stops, you know, that are just, here's your warning two minutes in length, you know, going your way. There's many times where they roll down the window and look at me or I walk in their house and they look at me and they have this confused look on their face. Like, are you supposed to be here? Is this a joke? Is this real? And he's wearing a G string. He's (laughs) like, I heard there was, heard there was a party here. There's a noise ordinance. It's too loud. You know, well, it's funny that you say that. I don't think I've used that one, but humor definitely helps get through it. Um, you know, i as you can imagine, growing up, homeschooled my whole life, Christian, I was no stranger to having people sure. uh, make jokes at my expense. Uh, and I feel like I'm pretty good at letting stuff roll off my back and not being bothered by it. And that helped a lot. And, you know, today I'm 
I'm 22 at this point and I still have a baby face. I still look mm-hmm. like I'm 12. So it happens and, you know, people make comments and they're usually in, in good fun. You know, they're, are you old enough to do this job? And right. I usually tell them, no, I'm not. I don't know who was in charge, but don't tell them that I'm 12 years old. Hmm. Um, but it was a huge learning experience and had to learn a lot about how to talk to people going into another person's home, you know, mm-hmm. a 40, 50, 60 year old man and woman mm-hmm. with kids and a family. And they've been through three times, four times a life I've been through and going in there and as that young person that I am with no life experience, having to sort out the situation that they have. And you may also need them to submit to your authority, right? I need you yeah. to turn around, and put your hands behind your back. Fuck mm-hmm. you kid. Fucking make me. And so, one method of comp- one method of co- one method of compensation is uh, water off a duck's back, right? You let it roll off your, <laughs> you know, humor. And then the other is what I mean when 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 the when the when it's time to fucking rock and roll. I mean, you you I used to I, I I've had uh, friends and guests and stuff like that who they ha- ultimately have to compensate for something, right? Whether it's baby face, your skinny weight, you know, on both ends of the spectrum, female, small, big, mm-hmm. so. That's when you say, I compensate by being, for example, the fucking best at my job. I know the law better than you. I know the force. Or you can fuck around and find out, but come on, you feel the frog, you come on and jump. So, you know, what's the second part of that compensation? I think for me, in the short time that I've had to not necessarily prove that, but deal with it, um, would be just command presence. I try to, you know, from the very first day on the job, in, in training to, you know, right now I'm finishing up field training in the lateral program. So I'm back in training, getting Cause evaluated. Because you switched departments. Right, right. right. So <clears throat> I got a few days left of that. I'm actually in an eight-day stretch right now, and then I'll be out on my own again. But I, uh, should, I feel should like he, Should he be on this podcast? Is he alone? If he's not. Probably if not. If he's still in fucking field Probably training? not. Should. Oh, let's do it. But, did, you uh, bring a, did you bring a blank DOR? <laughs> I should yeah. have. Yeah, right, right. And not responding to training, not responding to training, not responding to training. <laughs> you know, so 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 you 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 establish command presence from the get. Like, how you doing, ma'am? Can I see a license and insurance? Right. You kind of your confidence, right? You built that confidence, and, and then it's a confidence thing, and uh, just knowing. Yeah, you know, I'm not claiming to be good at fighting, but I grew up with a brother. We were homeschooled. We're in the mm-hmm. same house every day. There was a lot of fighting that went on. You know, in not family violence. You know, criminal fighting, but brother fighting. Mm-hmm. So. If it's time to go hands-on, then it's time to go hands-on and, and you'll take care of it. And I'll, I'll handle business and hopefully come out on the, the top end. Mm-hmm. But I think what uh, what I know helps me a lot is just my appearance. Because mm-hmm. um, you show up and you look like you're 12 years old and I'm not far from it. But from the top down, you know, I always have a clean press right. uniform. Sure. You know, I'm not trying to put yeah. anybody down, but there's a lot of people that don't. You know, I still wear leather boots that are shined to a mirror polish, and there's been plenty of arrests that I've made that you don't even necessarily realize they're sizing you up on the scene until you're pulling in the sally port, and then they make comments out loud about, I thought about fighting you, or I thought about running. You know, I've had that happen Tell more, me. more than a dozen times <clears throat> where I made this arrest and everything went completely smooth. There was no hands-on. There was no fight. There was no use of force. Um can you give me a story of where that happened and the circumstances surrounding it? I don't think I can come up with one off the top of my head. Well, thanks um, for being here. Yeah, no. you're welcome. So, so, so thanks for having me. Yeah, no, so, but, so like, you, you hit a good point, right? Which is, you know, you're like, well, you know, the shiny boots and I'm not talking shit about... No, the purpose of this podcast is to fucking talk shit about other people. And the, the, the meat, well, it's, it's always been my dream to have a platform where I could fucking talk shit about people. But no, ser- seriously, you are saying, look, I mean, you know, this is what I do. But we realize as in this profession, especially if you're doing it right, that every little thing counts, right? Mm-hmm. And so you make sure that you fucking do everything you can from your end to make sure, oh no, this this series, like I ain't fucking around. <clears throat> we are casting some shade on other people who get lackadaisical, who show up in that fucking, you know, 11 day uniform, look like they've been through fucking Katrina, mm-hmm. you know, right, right? And so- Which by the uh, way is the, uh, I don't know what department in North Texas. It doesn't give be free dry cleaning. So, uh, 
Oh, I, I don't know what fucking no, fantasy land you're working in, No kid. excuse. Well, I don't know what... Hold on a second. I don't know... Oh, you young, sweet summer child. You gotta, you gotta go to yeah. a better department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very... That, that is the exception, not the norm. So, yeah. oh, you're so naive. You gotta pick better, because it's, it's my norm. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like... I mean, it, it's just a given, right? Introductory blowjob <laughs> in field training, right? Like, you know, like... like No, no? Did you not get that? Like, did, you didn't get the fucking introductory blowjob? Coming from a uh, close-knit family and uh, a good, stable family, um, I have to imagine that it was, uh, was it a shock to your senses when you came up to your real first domestic? Yeah. Um, Most of those happened, you know, my first happened in training, obviously. Um, We worked plenty of those at the, the the new agency I'm at is very, very slow. There's it'll take me two weeks at this agency to take the same amount of calls I would have in one shift at the, the previous one. Yeah. More, room, more room for self initiated. Right. Yeah. So when you go to a domestic, here's my thing is from your background, you're young. The thing is they don't teach you in the academy how to respond to domestics. They don't teach you in the academy how no. to resolve conflict between these two opposing parties. They just teach you the law as class A and peeing breath and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to learn the talk, the people skills, on the, on the job and mm-hmm. how do you, how do you learn that or do you think you learned it i mean in your in your very short time i like to go off of what people tell me because mm-hmm. i think it's really hard to evaluate yourself um which is what one of the nice things that's actually been enjoyable about going through training again mm-hmm. is being evaluated you know kind of like, also... like a pit stop right kind of yeah. like a self-check pit stop i'm, I'm also yeah. sick to death of it and ready to be alone in my car but right. <laughs> I hear that. it's a good like you get exposed to your flaws your weaknesses um, but I think I'm pretty good for, for considering the situation I'm in for talking to people, you know, um, it took some learning for sure. You know, if I went back and watched my first domestic that I worked on my own mm. compared to the one now, I'd probably have to turn it off because I wouldn't <laughs> be able to stand and watch myself and hear the things I say. And that whole concept alone of having something happen in your family that was so serious you needed to call law enforcement was foreign to me. The only time cops ever came to my house growing up in 21 years was for a stolen lawnmower and medical call. Right. So right. that alone was a big shock to mm-hmm. go into situations where police are needed at somebody else's home inside the walls of their own home because they can't figure things out for themselves. Um, so I think that was a bigger adjustment than I think that had to come before I was able to start talking to people and sorting things out and coming to reasonable solutions for people. I had to first grapple with even the yeah, concept to first grasp that this is a whole different life than I, you know, I, I didn't have this reality ever. That's interesting. Um, that's, that's credit interesting. to my parents because my father definitely grew up with that. And oh, he, is that right? And that's been giving me a huge appreciation for him because he didn't I know how he grew cycle. up. Yeah, he didn't perpetuate now, the yeah, cycle. Yeah, and now doing it, I see how high of a chance, you know, it's almost guaranteed that if you grow up with it, you're going to have it in your family. Mm-hmm. But we never did. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing to me. So Yeah, so he's kind of set the template mm-hmm. and you have the base. Uh, what's a good d- domestic violence incident response? good arrest or you were there to save the day in your shiny new uniform i don't know that there's been one that i you know walked in and saved someone's life probably the most satisfying one was at my sorry at my first agency mm-hmm. right after i cleared training uh, i went to day shift for about a month and then they put me on nights and i stayed at that same shift for the next 18 months mm-hmm. um out of choice but within that first month you know this is probably one of the first dozen domestics I've gone to or family violence that I had been to on my own. You know, there's other officers there, but not having a trainer with me. Mm-hmm. And it was a strangulation family violence. And stuff. How, how'd the call come out? Um, party separated. Uh, lady's uh, wife choked her and hit her something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, no weapons, no so you know that no active in. disturbance, so we weren't code or anything. And are you the first 
I was not. The uh, officer that was first on scene was actually a, like, 50-year veteran. Um, he, he'll he die on the job. You know, mm-hmm. There's no other way that he's going to end his life than, <laughs> than he's, he's going to pass away on the job. Not mm-hmm. from from so, violence, just because that's what he does. He's yeah, like, old hat. Yeah. Yep, he's yeah. been in law enforcement for his whole life. He's got a long life. He's in his 70s. But he was first on scene because we weren't code. I was coming from the other side of town. So I showed up a few minutes afterwards, and he had already interviewed and, you know, made sure nobody was in the home that wasn't supposed to be. Things were settled down. They were all calm. The suspect had gone. Didn't know where she was, but she wasn't showing back up. And that one was satisfying for me as a person who just got out of training because it was, to this day, it's the only legit strangulation that I've worked so mm-hmm. far. You know, you go to them quite often where they grab my neck for 2.1 milliseconds. It impeded my breath and blood circulation. You know, mm-hmm. we go to those all the time and it still gets charged, but it, you know, it's not legit. But this lady was crying. She had petechiae. She could hardly talk. Her mm-hmm. voice was changed. She was terrified. She legitimately thought that she was going to lose her life mm-hmm. 20 minutes before we showed up uh, or before I showed up. So I ended up, he, he was primary on it, but he ended up, or I ended up doing the strangulation supplement mm-hmm. and he had already asked her all those questions, but you know, I'm not dogging on him. He's an excellent officer. He's, mm-hmm. I would love to ride around with him in a car, but I wrote up my supplement and CID ended up using it as a PCI for David for her warrant. Um, cause his was a lot less detailed. And I was very detailed, you know, down to, mm-hmm the hand she used, which way it was facing, mm-hmm. you know, where she felt the pressure. And, you know, I wrote a really detailed report, spent a lot of time on it. I was really proud of it when I was done. And uh, it felt good because CID emailed me and my sergeant at the time and said, you know, hey, you just got out of training. Mm-hmm. wanted to give you kudos because your report was so much more detailed and had so much more in it that I used it for the PC affidavit and not the primary report. You know, mm-hmm. I used your supplement as a PC affidavit. And the satisfying part about that was a couple months later, after it had gone to a warrant, it was time to turn herself in. Mm-hmm. I was on nights at this time, and the lady turned herself in in the lobby voluntarily, and I was the one that took that call. So it's kind of closure, I guess. You know, I don't know what happened with her case, but it was the only legit strangulation. You know, this she was a the victim was an excellent victim too, like the perfect victim you could hope for. Not that you don't. Not that you hope for victims, but if you want a victim, that's that was her. She remembered everything down to detail, articulated it, despite, you know, minutes before having felt like her life was about to end. And getting to be at the scene and then a month or two later be the one to put handcuffs on the person that did it was really satisfying. When you um, were doing your supplement, that meant you had to interview her, right? Yeah, yeah, I interviewed her. Basically, I like to have all the information, so that helped me as well. I started from the beginning to the end. You know, I didn't just interview her about the part where her neck had pressure on it. Um, and so when she's talking to you, she's upset. How are you reconciling this? I mean, you feel bad, you yeah. know, but you have a job to do. you got to give them time. Um, I've never been in a situation where... Mm-hmm. I thought someone else was about to take my life, mm-hmm. you know, in that, in that scenario. I've never been in her shoes. In that interview, we were at the scene for two or three hours. Long time, yeah. And looking back now, knowing what I know now, there might have been a better way to interview her. Most of it happened on her front porch. We could have gone in and sat down, but it took a lot of time. You know, she'd ask her a question. She'd explain it, you know, give me the details, and then, you know, take a couple minutes while she calmed down because mm-hmm. she's hyperventilating, still trying to grasp reality and get back to, you know, a, a calm state of mind. Mm-hmm. So it took a while, but just giving her time helped a lot. And, and you just have, the, yeah. And you have a pretty calm disposition. You're young, you're, you're new to this, you know, you're not jaded. Right. And then I think, I think that works well. Right. And you, you ultimately, you ultimately, you, you you did try to you did get her some justice. Oh, so it was yeah. in the uh, it was in the Liberal County. So yeah, but I, I don't know what happened with the court case, but 
she kept putting handcuffs and put in jail, and I'm sure something came of it as long as that. And those, and those were your handcuffs. Those were your handcuffs. Yeah, that felt good. That was probably the most satisfying family violence arrest I've had. Have you had a difficult call? Yeah, none at this new agency. It's been a couple months at the new agency, and I've yet to take a legitimately hot call. Mm-hmm. Um, there oh. were a few at the the mm-hmm. first agency I worked at. There, there was nothing that was like keeps mm-hmm. me up at night, dreamed about it or anything like that. Um, but you had a difficult call. I had a few. Um, there were, I mean that that strangulation was mm-hmm. difficult just to see. You know, sure. I never dealt with somebody, even in my own life, that was that distraught and that had that much adrenaline because they thought they were about to die from someone who they thought loved them, you know, their wife. Mm-hmm. Um, that works. What other difficult calls have you had to take? Plenty of shootings, um, plenty of murders, you know, not, not dozens and dozens. It's not that big of a city. It was busy enough, but. I think the the more difficult ones were actually the more mundane ones. Um, Difficulty child from- child custody disputes, you know, where two adults are acting like children, and the three year old is the one that's pulling on dad or mom's pant leg, trying to calm a situation down. Um, but yeah, that's th- th- those happened a lot where you go to a scene and you know. Adults are acting like the children, and children are trying to act like the adults. And you see that, you know that's not right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. When you're on those child custody interference cases, you know, who who are you there to serve, right? Are you there to serve the caller? Are you there to serve the um, person who's (laughs) the the person, the the petitioner, right, who's saying, hey, my, my partner is in violation of the order? Or are you there to serve the child, right? Who's ultimately yeah. the one who suffers? Yeah. That's it's a, hard. It's hard to keep tough. straight yeah. and hard to, uh, yeah. Especially because, like I said, I didn't grow up with that issue. I had two biological parents in the home the whole life, um, so it, it tugs at your heartstrings dealing with it or seeing it. Especially because you know, in those situations, a lot of times there's nothing we can really do as law enforcement. We're just, we're just there to tell them you need to handle this in court and don't hurt each other. And that sucks because you're going there and you see that the kid is the one that's getting hurt the most or the children. Um, And that's definitely hard as a 22-year-old going there and talking to the parents and telling them they need to work their shit out and figure this out (laughs) as a person who doesn't have kids and doesn't have a a spouse or family other than, you know, brothers, sisters, parents. They're twice your age and they're acting fucking less mature than you are or you would. And, you know, we, uh, I believe most people's protocol, not necessarily to, <coughs> to, to file the interference. I mean, most of the time it's just call notes or incident only. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what really gets accomplished? How much? Sometimes you want to, sometimes you want to shake the fucking parents. You're like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. Like, do you not fucking see your kid over here crying? Mm-hmm. You know, but you hate this bitch because, you know, she fucking fucked your cousin or whatever. But, you know, it's like, it's ultimately about the kids, right? Get along. Mm-hmm. I was a DWI cop and uh, SFST instructor, and um, <coughs> on the theme of kind of doing your sh- what's the matter, kid? You're allergic to wisdom. No, so I got, on the I got th- over the no, sorry. so on the theme of kind of doing your job, which is the motto of this podcast, and you know, you're a young guy, you're impressionable, you come into a department, you're malleable, right? And so if you come into the wrong field training officer, it's like I don't fucking DWIs, they can fucking have them. I don't fucking do. I don't want to go to court. So. What's your attitude? What's your experience with DWIs? What's your department's attitude towards DWIs? Um, current one, so I'll start with the one I started at. The one I started at, we were told in orientation from a lieutenant that, and he was a good lieutenant, he's a smart guy, and he's retired now, but he was very knowledgeable, and he explained to us, you know, he's like, if there's one investigation that I think if you can work properly, and complete properly, that means you can do any other investigation, it would be DWIs. Um, if you can work one of those from start to finish and do it correctly and make a good arrest and have everything you need in your report and, and handle evidence properly, it would be DWIs if you can do that. 
then you'll be fine on anything else. Mm-hmm. And when he told me that, you know, I'd, I'd never taken a report in my life. So that was, that stuck with me. And for the first couple of years, I loved them. And I, I still like them. I enjoy getting them. It's less of something that I go out and look for now. But as Why far is as that? The, Why is that? I don't find them as challenging um, as some, some other investigations. I still enjoy them. But for the first probably year that I was on my own, um, I would like that's what I would be going out every mm-hmm. night. Didn't matter what night of the week, what time of day. It was day shift, night shift, mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I wanted a DWI, and I'd usually find them. You know, in that city that I worked in, they they were everywhere, like everywhere else in North Texas. So you'd find one. America, yeah, America. <laughs> uh, we had a little two, three mile stretch of a, an interstate that if it hit 11 or 12 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and I hadn't found an arrest yet, you knew if you, as soon as you merge on mm-hmm. the car you merge next to is going to be DWI. And the department loved them. Um, they participated in MAD and they mm-hmm. posted on Instagram and Facebook about the people with the most DWI arrests. So they were really supportive of them. Uh, the department I'm at now, um, kind of hard for me to say just because I'm so new. Uh, I didn't really have an orientation. It was like a week long. Here's our forms compared mm-hmm. to what you had before because uh, it was a lateral hire. It wasn't starting fresh. But I think both departments are very proactive about them. That's good. You know, most of the guys at the department I'm at now, my previous one was a lot younger. There were a lot of people like me, and there still are, that are very little life experiences, first career they've ever had. So malleable. Yeah. Right. Um, so they liked them a lot more mm-hmm. and then kind of now where i'm at like i said it's not something that i enjoy as much just because i don't find it as challenging and i'm not claiming that's because i'm excellent at them i've been told i'm really good at them but i haven't even been to court on one so that could change in one case mm-hmm. um the county i worked in before or the county the city was in was uh plea everything out you mm-hmm. know, get a dwi you're gonna get yeah. six months probation that's it good. didn't matter which offense uh, the county I'm at now. Oh, six months from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the county I'm at now, if you get a DWI, you're you're going to go to court for it. Okay. So, I don't know if my attitude will change after I go to court. I don't like being uh, made a fool of. So, if anything, <laughs> get eaten up on the stand, then I'm sure it will just encourage me to go back and get better at what I'm, you know, I'm doing wrong with them. That's good. But from the instructors I've had that, like yourself, who were DWI cops. Mm-hmm. All I can go off is what they say because I haven't been to court mm-hmm. on a DWI. Mm-hmm. And they tell me I'm good. I don't <laughs> know if that's true or not. Well, I guess we'll find out someday. Yeah. But I just don't hunt them as much as more. It's not something that I go out to try to find. If it is in front of me, I'm never going to. Right. I'm not the one that is going to be following somebody that's clearly intoxicated and. Ignore it. And turn the other way or be like, you know, well, they didn't hit the barrier. So. Right. They'll make it home. I'm not to that point. You know, if it's, if I'm off at 6 a.m. and it's 5.59 and there's one in front of me, I'm going to work it. So Nice. Um, you said that um, <clears throat> it wasn't as challenging, but you kind of uh, enjoyed a different aspect. Are you a drug cop? I don't think I can call myself that, but that's definitely yeah. what interests me. You know, More interdiction. Interdiction yeah. Yeah. kind of stuff. Um, what's, the biggest, like, what's the biggest bust you've had? Oh, nothing. Nothing? Uh, you, you ain't got that. You ain't got four, the, four, the, four ounces of weed, you yeah. know. 30 grams of ecstasy. No, nothing big, just users. Okay. Um, Was that the same case? No. Oh, okay. So, uh, <clears throat> for the four ounces, did you end up going with delivery? No. What about the the what the, about the, the, the X? Ecstasy I did. That was the only time I've charged uh, Mandel so far. And, um, and that was in... Uh, mm-hmm. I happened to get to charge. So, the city I worked in first, this was in my old agency. Mm-hmm. The city we worked in was largely you know probably 80 percent of it was in the large county that pled everything out and all that and mm-hmm. then a very 20 percent on the east side of that agency was in a county that was very mm-hmm. had, a, had a good da and a good mm-hmm. da's office very good prosecution L- liberal da versus conservative yeah 100 yeah, yeah, yeah and i always worked that side so that I could, <laughs> I could charge everything i could there if i saw them from a mile away but they were in the the conservative county when i saw him i was charging it in that county and he happened to be when i first started following him it was on the highway that went through there mm-hmm. when i first started following him i was in that part of the county mm-hmm. and he i stopped him in the other county but you know just 
articulated. I was behind him the whole time. Nothing came in or out of the vehicle and ended up charging at that one. But what'd you stop him for? Uh, speeding. Did you pace him? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what uh, led to the search? Uh, he smoke rolled out of the windows when he rolled down the window. He <laughs> he didn't think he was in any trouble because he was he was very much a resident of the larger county where they didn't care as much. Um, and you'll get that a lot where we where I work because we're right on the edge of that very liberal county, that larger city right outside of Dallas. So a lot of those people, they get treated one way by cops and law enforcement in Dallas in that area where they don't give a fuck about a lot of things. They come in a mile further, and all of a sudden they're, they've got prison time. Mm-hmm. So he didn't realize how much trouble he was in, and I didn't, honestly didn't even think it was going to turn out to be that good of a stop. Mm-hmm. But you- the smoke rolled out of the window. I could smell the marijuana. He had uh, one blunt mm-hmm. in his ashtray. So I had PC. I got him out and searched it. And he had uh, he had a little over an ounce of weed. Mm-hmm. And then he had a satchel that had a scale, a bunch of, bunch of little dime bags in it that were empty in the same compartment as a, or the same portion of the bag that he had a scale. And he had four identical Adderall pills. And then a gallon bag with a bunch of like 30 or so uh, ecstasy pills. And he, and he fucked himself. He said on camera, um, <laughs> I asked him who the Adderall belonged to because it wasn't a prescription bottle. I asked him if it was his. He said, no, he said, I'm taking it to the person who it's for. Mm. Like, can you can you rephrase that and use the mm. word deliver on my camera, please? But he, he fucked himself on that one. So. Did you in, did you try to get some intel out of him, find out who he was bringing it to? Was he selling to the person supplying? I did not. He told me he was taking the Adderall to his girlfriend, and then he pretended the ecstasy didn't exist until I pulled it out and held it in front of his face. But I really didn't think that stop would turn into anything more than user amount of marijuana, which... Sure. Which is the way Which is the way most of these things yeah. go around. Well, he's smoking as he's driving down the road and then admits it right in front of me. So it, those usually don't turn into something too good, but that was, that was the highest charge I've, I've made off of narcotics so far so i'm very new definitely still learning mm-hmm. just i enjoy things other than marijuana that's probably what i hunt more than sure. dwis and marijuana because marijuana is easy you know i smell it you got shake on your lap i'm in your car mm-hmm. um, it's a lot more enjoyable for me to have to use conversation mm-hmm. and stories not lining up you know other other factors to develop pc or get consent and and get it and find something else that you can't just smell when they rolled out the window. So, did you get any cash on the guy? Uh, no, I didn't have any cash. Please tell me it was in a Crown Royal bag. It was in a black Nike oh, satchel. Damn it! Next, next best thing. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're changing it up on me. I'm, yep. I'm out of the game. Yeah, been out, been out the game too long. <laughs> I will. I, I know that I'm impatient. I know that that's one of my faults. So I don't really find enjoyment out of lengthy investigations you know across multiple days or weeks i I think detectives today is probably a much different job than it was 20 30 years ago well sure you know the old cop shows you watch you know from years and years ago detective was like a promotion it was a a prestigious spot and Mm -hmm. in some agencies i'm sure it still is but overall you know a lot of agencies now you become a detective your pay doesn't even change you Mm -hmm. you get an office and that I think because I'm so against that personally for mm-hmm. me, what I want to do and where I'm at in my career, that sometimes it bleeds over to my street level investigations. So I have to watch that attitude of knowing that I don't want to be a detective mm-hmm. by any, I'm like there, there's no inkling of me that wants to do that at this point, you know, mm-hmm. a, a stationary office with maybe a small window and doing computer work all day and putting together cases from stupid cops like me. It doesn't interest me at all. Um, and I have to watch that that doesn't bleed over sometimes into traffic stops or family violence or, you know, thefts. You got to slow down um, a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's, I, it's good that you're at least self-aware of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I definitely am impatient. I like to, I want to have handcuffs on somebody and bring it to a conclusion in, within three hours, you know. <laughs> yeah. Any plans to solve any murders? <laughs> no. Yeah. I'll write the report and yeah. I'll, I'll give it to CID yeah. and they can do that. So what are your aspirations? Um, 
I know I'm really young and I'm very new to this still. And with a department change, that's a whole, it's almost like a reset button, you mm-hmm. know, a whole new community, mm-hmm. much, much slower. You know, mm-hmm. I have, I'm at a sheriff's office now compared to a city. And even though it's right next door and it's literally the county, it's that county that, you know, 20%, County, right, 20% yeah. of that city was in. So right. it's a huge adjustment going from having all those calls that I had. And I'm not saying we were balls to the wall, call to call. There are plenty of hours on end that you wouldn't get anything on sure. nights that you can go do what you want to do. But it's a huge adjustment. And I made it because at this point in my career, what interests me is interdiction style stuff. You know, mm-hmm. thing getting good at sitting in one spot for eight hours and stopping the one car and finding a, you know, finding what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a few people at this agency that I'm at now that are like that. A couple of them have left recently and retired, uh, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of cops like me who you, you don't get a chance to talk to them. And it's not even something that they can necessarily, you can't teach it in a class. Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to see them do it and just little tidbits of information they give you on a stop that you cover on, cover them on. Um, and they tell you something, you know, why'd you, why'd they, why'd that car interest you? Why'd you stop it? And they tell you, and you're like, I never in a million years would have picked up on that. Um, and that's what interests me. Um, well, you inter- sound- interdiction style or mm-hmm. narcotics, it's, money. It, it, not to shit on your story, but it sounds like you kind of answered my question. So, you know, you're like, well, I want stuff to be solved quickly, three hours and stuff <laughs> like that. But I mean, you, you interdiction does require patience. <laughs> interdiction does require patience, right? right? And sitting and watching a house or sitting, you may have to get some warrants, you know, depending on how deep you go into this field, you may have to get some warrants, you may have to scope out a house, you may have to, you know, work with some CIs to make some buy bus and stuff like that. And, um, you know, uh, addendum to that same question, mm-hmm. that same field, which is, when you are in your interdiction groove or drug investigation group, it is going to be about like picking up on mm-hmm. the cues and the investigations and following up and tracking, creating maps. You know, I always picture like that fucking map on the wall with all the fucking yarn <laughs> and the fucking thumbtacks, you know, beautiful mind style. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all potatoes, but you know, you want hash browns, not necessarily home fries. You know what I mean, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a different form, right? Yeah, it'll definitely take some some growing and some patience, um, and I'm trying to take it, you know, one step at a time. And that's good. Um, getting good at, you know, it, it. Anybody can spot a user. It's not hard. You don't have oh, to yeah. be. A, you don't have to be a cop to spot a user. So I, you know, but I I recognize that it's starting with users that take you up. You know, you're, you're not, you get good at that and you'll pick up on things and learn how to talk to people and get consent or get develop your probable cause to get in a vehicle or, or further your investigation. Um, and I can already see where I've gone from when I started, when I first got out on my own to where I am now, cars that I never would have got into a year ago, I get into now, you know, I get, get an arrest off of it. So I can already kind of see a little progression. And I hope to continue that. But like you said, that'll take patience. And I don't know that I'll ever have the patience to be a, you know, the interdiction officer that people talk about across eight different counties that can be that one that sits there for eight, ten hours in the one car they stop, they find a mm-hmm. load because they noticed his hat was tilted weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's what interests me at this point. And that's part of why I made the move to this department is long term. I believe I'll have a lot more opportunity for that there. Is that and, a, even if that ends up not being what I want to pursue, they have other specialties and other sure. opportunities that I wouldn't necessarily have at the first one at my uh, old agency. Is drug interdiction a path to a detective shield at your agency? If you're going to focus solely on that, they have a special crimes unit that is basically narcotic and it's called special crimes but they Mm -hmm. do they do narcotics and a little bit of prostitution when they're feeling frisky but you don't want to do that you don't want to do prostitution not not based off of the stories (laughs) well well what role am i playing here yeah right right yeah yeah (laughs) it might change the answer my question we'll put them put them on the street you know under the bridge you know 
Like here, put on the put this yeah. bandana in your left pocket. You know, I'm, I'm a runaway. Yeah, put the helmet. Have your way with me. Oh yeah, you know what, baby face, right? Like I was trying to make it in Hollywood, and I'm just here. You know, like can y'all give me a ride to California? I mean, if I had a if I had any poker face, I'd probably be pretty good at some right. undercover high school bias. Yeah. But you know, I'd go into a high school being homeschooled my whole life and be like, oh, it's third period, and I'd say, what the fuck is that? So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then his uh, Beretta falls out of his pocket, and you go, like, oh, uh, <laughs> this is part of my League of Legends league. Yeah. <laughs> as we um, come to as we come to the end of an episode, I, I always like to ask my guests. You know, we all get into the job or, you know, past tense for me. You know, we, we get into the job. We got into the job for a reason. Do you feel like you've fulfilled that yet? Do you feel like you, you're getting what you put in? Do you feel like there's more to go? You feel like you're not? I feel like I'm, you know, like I, like I said earlier, I don't know that, that, you know, there wasn't a goal that I set out mm-hmm. to do wanting to go in. It was just the feeling that this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, seven seven was like my nine eleven of law enforcement. It made me want to do it, and I did it. And I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. That's good. Um, I'm getting a lot of fulfillment. I enjoy working. Um, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. But I'm also in a good spot because I can be five years in the job when everybody says you burn out. And if I say I've had my fun and I'm done with this, then I'll be 23, 24, 25. Most people are graduating college at age, so, mm-hmm. you know, oh, no, what am I going to do with my life? You know, whatever I want. So, I'm in a really good spot, and, um, yeah, but I'm enjoying yeah. it so far and finding fulfillment. Yeah. And, yeah, and have you had a call experience, uh, a, a job where um, it satisfied that, where you said to yourself, this is why I did the fucking job. This is This is what the fucking job is about. I think I'd go back to that strangulation at this point. Like I said, you know, the agency I was at was busy, but it wasn't big city busy. You know, I don't have endless stories of this like some other people do. And if I sat here and we bounced stories off of each other, I'd come up with some others. But um, it's the one that comes to mind. There's been other family violences, or, or not, I can't think of specifics, but I know that I've had that feeling more than that that call. Well, then let's talk about that generally as we come to a close to address my question. Family violence is weird. It's always, almost always, reactive. You have party A and party B. Party A assaulted party B or did something, whether it's classy contact or it's SBI or choke the fucking shit out of her. And when you arrive, more often than not, the assailant is not on scene. Mm Mm-hmm. When the assailant is on scene, you make the kala easy peasy Chinesey. But the problem that we have is <coughs> so rarely do we ever get to prevent it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's virtually impossible. Um, and then it becomes a game of, well, let me write up the case the best way that I can. But every now and then, <coughs> we do have an opportunity to intervene at the most crucial moments where you start developing your people skills and you talk to people and you say, look, I'm not in control of your life, but if you don't continue down this path, you're going to die. And (coughs) what would you say to your best? Think about your best friend. Think about the closest person to you, family member, siblings. uh, Mm -hmm. Think about what what if the sibling or this best friend were going through the same thing you were going, what would you tell that friend? So when you have these moments that, 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 involve talking to people in their most vulnerable vulnerable states when have you ever had a situation where you felt like something you said to someone had an impact even if you couldn't make the call even if you did the even if the ap was no longer on scene you know like i said if we tell stories off of each other i'd start coming up with them there was a you know i've said those exact words to a female in her early Mm -hmm. 20s before um and had multiple conversations with it about it with the same with person? her about it, same person. Um, or is she it lived, because you kept going back? Yeah, she let, lived in an apartment and mm-hmm. was a perpetual victim. She had an ex boyfriend who knew where she lived and she wouldn't move. And he continued to go over. This apartment was on the southeasternmost portion of our city limits. It was right on the city limits, and it's right next to that interstate. So 
by the time we showed unless we were right there mm-hmm. he'd be gone before we showed up and he got a couple different warnings you know, continuous family violence against her a couple class A's mm-hmm. a couple strangulations and got an evading on foot one night when we happened to show up mm-hmm. early enough to have him run off um, but she's one of those that I actually had that conversation with a couple times after he left and we're just there to take the report you know, and, and told her straight up, you know, you have to make it real for them. How did you do and that? In this case, I can't say that I necessarily did because she still kept letting him in the apartment until we finally hooked him up on a traffic stop with these six different warrants. And mm-hmm. um, I just told her, you know, I don't know you personally. We don't have a relationship. We're not friends. We're not family. But we have a relationship for the fact that i've been here so many times and i've talked to you so many times and seen what he's done to you so many times that even though we're not you know outside of my job i I don't have any relationship with you i don't want to be back here to take pictures of your dead body now at that point how many times would you say you had spoken to her six this was towards the the end of the, the, the end of when he saga, finally got hooked so up, to speak, and yeah. I don't know if she moved or if that legitimately was the end of it. But when we finally hooked him up, there's been no issues since. You know, I'm not at that agency anymore, but it was sure it was a little while before I left, and we didn't go back after that. Um, okay, so when you tell her something like that, when you say something very, I mean, that's that's personal, right? That's mm-hmm. that that's trying to make a connection. When you say something like that to her, what does she say? I don't know if she took it seriously. But she started crying and uh, she agreed. Mm-hmm. But she's unfortunately a classic victim. You know, she's a perpetual state of being a victim. Keeps making the same decision. He comes over and knocks on the door for whatever reason and she lets him in. And the next thing you know, she has a, a broken nose and a bloody eye. Um, but is I she, think that made it a little bit more real for her. Is she always willing to, co- uh, to cooperate with prosecution? Yeah. Every mm-hmm. time? But just keeps letting him back keeps in. Keeps letting him in. And in I don't know f- what happened in her life. You know, I don't know how she was raised. I don't know what her life situation is other than that. But I think sometimes it, what that taught me is it takes an officer or a deputy trooper, whoever, making it real for them and being willing to say, being willing to do more than just go there and take a report. Because it sucks, like you said, when we, go, we show up and the suspect's usually gone and we're there to ask questions, take notes, and then go do some computer work that most people don't like, and then mm-hmm. it's just an inconvenience to your night. But that's maybe a little bit of being out of touch with your emotions, which you have to do a lot on the job. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I was just able to take a step back and realize, you know, I, I genuinely don't want to come over here. I've been over here so many times. I don't want to come over here the day that she's dead. And take those pictures and write that report. You use those and, words. Yeah, I told her. I, I mean, I told her multiple times. Like, if you if you continue to do what you're doing and letting him in, he will kill you. And, you know, it gets worse every time. And you and we could look. You know, I looked back. I, I went to most of those calls. It was my beat. And it was mm-hmm. always on nights when he would come over. The other right. end of the week took a couple of reports, but most of those reports happened through me. And. So I could tell her, I was like, look, I remember being back here in June or July and now we're in December. Does she acknowledge you can that? See, yeah. You know, you can see how much worse it is now than it was the first time. Right. And she agree with that. And when she make it real and lay it out for them and make them think out loud, the things that everybody know that it only gets worse each time. And someday he's going to walk in here. He's going to kill you. And I'm going to be taking pictures of your dead body and calling your family and telling them. Um, and I think it was a, it was only a week or two after that night that I told her that that we were able to uh, spot him coming out of the apartments in his car and get a stop on him and hook him up. But were you watching the apartment? No, I was actually coming from the other side of town. But knowing the history that we had, there, you know, every agency has different policies on when he can go code, when he cannot, and he gets away every single time. Mm-hmm. And based on his history that we knew, you know, we finally. We said, fuck it, we, you know, we're going code, we're going to get there. And we got over there fast enough that I actually went up to the apartment and he was already gone. And then the sergeant that showed up afterwards spotted his car leaving. Oh, okay. And got us this was a call for service. 
Right. Yeah, she he, he had showed back up. This is that's the one time out of all the times that I saw her not open the door and do what I told her to do. And that everyone had told her to do, you know, lock your doors, stay in your apartment, call 911. Oh. Don't talk to him. Don't open the door. And when she finally did that, you know, he, he it kept him hanging around a lot long enough that he was knocking on the door trying to get her to open it. That by the time he left, we were close enough to spot him and stop him. So okay. whether whether any of that is consequence of the conversation we had, I don't know. But well, well let's do some simple math. As we draw to the close of this story, you've been there six times. Mm -hmm. He's beat the fucking shit out of her, and every time it gets worse. And every time you show up, and it's your face, and you sit there and you talk to her, and you give her the speech. Mm -hmm. And then the last time where you make your most impassioned plea, she breaks down crying. And then what happens on the quote-unquote seventh encounter she fucking does what you asked her to. You were able to apprehend him. And again, we're going to use air quotes, right? <laughs> Bring him to justice. Bob, you, you saved this fucking kid's life. And that's the thing that we don't fucking point out enough. This, there is, you know, people say, oh, police sciences, right? But you know who says that? People who've never been on the street. This is the science of policing. This is the science of doing your fucking job and serving the community. You saved that fucking kid's life. She was probably not much uh, difference in age from you, right? No. She was a few years older. She might and, have been 26. And so when you step back, <clears throat> you personalize the person, you identify the issue, and you make it an impassioned plea, and you sit her down, and you look her in the eye, and you say, sweetheart, I, I, I don't want, I don't know you from fucking Adam, or I guess Eve, and I just don't want to come back and take pictures of your body. You tell me that didn't have an impact. I hope it did. Have you ever thought about it this way? I don't think I've thought about it this in-depth. Not as I'm yelling and cursing at you. <laughs> we've, we've never met prior to today, have we? <laughs> no. Right. And, you know, with that analysis, how, do you, how, how does that resonate with you? It was a good feeling. You know, I'd like to believe that that had some impact, you know. And so, let's make it very clear. When you arrest the DWI driver, you're literally saving lives, right? And when you do your fucking job, regardless of the consequences, you're fulfilling your oath. And son, you know, and I, and I feel like I can, I'm qualified to call you that because I'm <laughs> literally twice your age. But when you when you do something like that, look, and then you say, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Law enforcement's not for me. I'm going to go uh, be a plumber. But you get to say that you did the thing that you were paid to do. You you, you served, you protected, and you, you saved, saved a life. And when you... Uh, I always tell people when you get to the pearly gates, right? You know, atheist. But when you get to the pearly gates and they got that fucking book of all the shit that you did, I'm like, oh my god. I got one time you did that thing to that chick. That was, that was like against like fucking five laws. But then you get to say, wait a minute. I need to talk to your fucking supervisor. I don't know who St. Pete... I don't know the Bible, who St. Peter's supervisor is. Like, yeah, right. Oh, oh does he report to God? Oh, my producer point way up. Like, does he report directly to God? Like, listen, buddy. <laughs> That's like asking me to go to the fucking, you know, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, right? You know, but you get to say... You, you, at, at the end of the day, you know, and I hate that saying, by the way, but, you know, you get to say you did some good. And I hope with that analysis... It gives you kind of, you know, a different outlook on the, on the job and the job that you've done and you do. Feels good. Thanks so much for listening, subscribing, and sharing. Please rate and review the show and follow us on all platforms. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Our website is nfipodcast.com, YouTube at NFI Podcast, and please reach out to us at podcast at nfipodcast.com. New episodes released weekly or whenever I feel like it. 
Help us spread the show. Tell us what you think and put a buddy on. I'll see you out there. Stay safe and remember, do your job. <laughs>